LGBT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Okay? Um, if you haven't come across that acronym before, I can almost guarantee you that if I'm going to ask you the same question next year at Teen Forum, most of you will have at least recognized that term and come across that in your daily lives. Um, okay, here's another question for you. Um, if you were given a choice of forum topics, how many of you would actually like there to be a topic on gay lesbian issues? If it would be your choice, would you choose this topic as a forum topic? Be honest. Okay, a couple here there. How many are horrified that we're talking about this topic? Really? Okay, um, let me ask this question. How many of you have a close friend, relationship, acquaintance who has come out on this topic that they are gay or lesbian? How many of you have spoken with that individual about this topic? Wow, quite a lot of you. But you wouldn't want this topic to be a forum topic. Um, if I give me honest, you know what, at your stage of life, I would have been horrified to approach this topic. This is one of these things that we all know about, but nobody wants to have to talk about. But I think that there was wisdom uh, on behalf of the... Uh, of the organizers of the forums to bring this topic to light because I think it is a topic that we need to speak about. Um, I just have one, uh, one photo here that I want to show you today. Uh, I'm not sure where I came across this photo, but it really stuck in my mind when I did. So, uh, you know, this depicts a group who I happen to know is a conservative Christian group. Um, they happen to be from Kansas, okay, who was um, protesting at some event. And uh, let's just go through a little bit some of the placards that each of them have here, because you, you can't see it in the background. So the obvious one in the front we all see, God hates fags. Okay, let's, let me blow some of these up so that you can see some of the back ones. Too late to pray. That's their message. Uh, this one back over here is on a little bit different theme, but this group is also um, against military action by the government. And the way they express their views, as you can read here, is thank God for dead soldiers. Thank God for dead soldiers. Another version of God hates fags. Here we have one more in the background. Um, the resolution is bad in this picture, but it says uh, fags are beasts. Stronger message to follow. Um, 
the one that's half cut off at the top says, uh, you will eat your babies. Okay, and, uh, oops, sorry. And here we have one young man that I would say, with those kind of people around, has an immense amount of courage and chutzpah. He formulated his own quick sign to put up. God hates no one. Um, I admire that young man. I think that took an immense amount of courage to do what he did to use his voice in at least expressing how he views this topic. Okay, so uh, how many of you have seen that picture before? Has anybody seen that? It was floating out there, but I think it kind of sends a message about what other religious people are, the language that they've, uh, that they've used here. Thank you. I'm going to unplug this now, Mike. I don't think we'll need this anymore. Well, today we have um, uh, a panel uh, that is going to be talking about uh, this topic. Uh, everyone up here on this panel, I think, has come across um, a gay, lesbian individual in their close enough circle of acquaintances that they have to relate to them in some way. Uh, Mike might be a little bit different in that regard, but um, that's only till the day after tomorrow, and then you're, uh, God, God's preparing you, Mike, uh, for this week, for the person that you're going to meet, that you're going to need to talk about this. And you know what? Um, because we can tell that all of you, or many of you, have come into contact with gay, lesbian people um, already in your young lives, uh, this is not something of our choosing, right? The people that God brings into our path of life are the people of his choosing, not the people of our choosing. But he calls us to be light and salt to all the people that he actually would choose to bring into our path. So um, we're going to start out, you know, basically with this brief introduction. I do want to speak with you about some Bible verses, and then we're going to have uh, an opportunity for each of the panel members to kind of share their stories of how they came into contact with um, somebody in the gay lesbian community and how they are managing those relationships uh, or how they are learning how to approach those relationships under the direction of the Spirit. And uh, I have um, a bunch of questions that I'd like to ask the panelists um, about how they have gone about relating to people who, are, who have very, very different worldviews and lifestyles from the ideas I think that we have. Um, and then give an opportunity if there's any questions that any of you might have on the topic. So um, uh, some things that I'd like to point out from the Bible and uh, things that I um, have understood to be um, misguided and misleading things that our culture is telling us about the topic of sexual choices and um, mores that, sorry to be using a word that you might not be familiar with, but sexual norms, sexual norms. Okay, and one of the, uh, one of the central things that is out there in our culture that many people believe is they believe that our sexual orientation is something that has been predetermined. It's genetic. You hear that all the time. It's genetic. That's just the way somebody is wired. 
and they're different from other people that are heterosexuals. That's what they're trying. And so this is the way the argument goes. The argument goes is because this is a genetic predisposition, this is not something that anybody can do anything about. They need to be um, accepted as living that way, and that way is okay because they were genetically born that way. So because it's genetic, it's okay. And we have to learn actually to accept them and give them all the privileges in the culture that anybody else would have. And like most messages that we get from our culture, it's biblically, as I understand it, it's partially true. It's partially true. Let me address the part first that I, that I don't think is true. Okay? Um, as I'm reading the Bible, and I'm looking to try to find some place in the Bible that would tell us that sexual behaviors are something that are genetically pre-programmed. I mean, that's a pretty important idea, right? And you'd think that if that's the way God created some people, that they were genetically pre-programmed, you would think that we'd find something in the Bible that would tell us that, right? You'd think. Okay? Um, as I read the Bible, and I'm going to read you some verses, and this is a really, really important idea. If there's one idea I want you to leave this forum with, this is with the idea. Okay? This one idea. Our sexual behaviors have to do with our identity. That's true. That's true. Our identity, however, is not something that's pre-programmed. That's false. That's false. The identity that we have as creatures of God is an identity that the Bible says God gave us. He gave us an identity of who we are as a gift. Not something that we were just born with. And I'd just like to read you a few verses. Now, if if you're going to look into the Old Testament, see what the Old Testament um, says about sexual behaviors, um, you're going to find that most of them actually are in the 18th chapter of Leviticus. Okay, and I'd like to read you just four verses from the beginning of the 18th chapter of Leviticus that I claim speaks about our identity. This is what Leviticus 18 says. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, this is the first point, catch this, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, ye shall not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, Whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Scott, why are you making a big deal about those verses? I'll tell you how I'm going to understand Leviticus 18. I used to think that when I keep reading, I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God, that God is making an authority statement, that he's claiming that he's the boss, 
And that's why he keeps on saying, I'm the Lord your God, I'm the Lord your God. That's not what I believe anymore. What I've come to realize these verses mean is that God is sharing an identity statement with his children of who he is and that we are his children. And because we are his children, and that is our identity, we behave in a certain way. The Bible speaks about sexual decisions as behavior choices. It doesn't speak about sexual norms as being genetically pre-programmed. How come it is in our culture also, if it, that's true, that we're genetically pre-programmed, that we don't talk about that in some other terms? Let's say as an example, okay, that, um, that I would be a person that would tend to be unfaithful in a marriage. How come we don't say, well, I'm a genetically pre-programmed cheaterite? Well, nobody believes that. Nobody believes that, you know, we're genetically pre-programmed to actually be unfaithful. How come it is actually that we do believe that we're genetically pre-programmed to live out other sexual norms? Why is it that the culture doesn't believe that? Interesting question, huh? So, I really believe that what the Bible is teaching us is because we get an identity from God, who he created us, and what our relationship means to him, that actually will formulate the way we sexually behave. You might be asking the question, does that mean that if somebody before they were a Christian actually might be homosexual? And that those sexual tendencies change once they adopt an identity that is given to them by God? I think Miriam is going to talk about that a little bit, but we read a very, very powerful book of a lesbian woman that happened to have been a professor at Syracuse University, came to a faith through a loving relationship of a 70-year-old pastor and his wife who cared for her, and spoke to her through many years of her personal struggles, and she went straight. Not only did she go straight, she now is the wife of a minister, lives in the Carolinas, has adopted, I don't know, five or six children, four children from around the world, and we're talking about somebody who was an activist. I mean, her... Her, her um, research at Syracuse University was in queer studies. And she went straight and is a married, happy Christian woman. So I really would like to leave you with that, with that idea. And you know what? If you're going to look in, in Leviticus 18, by the way, it doesn't only speak about homosexual relationships, right? It speaks about bestiality, that is, people having a relationship with animals. It speaks about other kinds of things that, for many of us, are, are very hard to even imagine. But it's really interesting that you'll read over and over again, I am the Lord your God. And it's not about God exhibiting his authority. It's about God forming our identity that ultimately will be the thing that decides how 
you and I are going to behave and live. So I'd like to give opportunity now for uh, each of the different panelists. Maybe we'll start down there with Mike, and we'll work our way down this way. About, uh, yeah, uh, any of these mics work. Here, you can pass this one down. It's the most convenient one. Um, I was glad that God, you know, not only... God is preparing Miriam and I for this topic, okay? We know somebody at Timber Ridge Ranch, the first couple, the first child that came to Timber Ridge Ranch... Um, has two lesbian parents. And uh, we were actually, I don't know, did we read the book before then or only after? I think only after then. You know, some other believers in Syracuse pointed this book out to us that helped frame our minds. So I feel in some way God is preparing us for this topic. And I think everybody else more or less feels the same way, right? That God has been working in their lives to prepare them for this topic. So why don't you hear from our, our panelists here how, how they came to this theme. Mike? Uh, well, I'm, I'm probably the outlier here. You'll hear from everybody else that they have um, some actually some pretty close relationships with homosexuals in one way or the other. I don't. Um, I have a couple acquaintances through friends of my wife, actually, in some cases, that are. But I came at this from a completely different area. I'm, uh, I'm pretty outspoken. I'm pretty, I would, you know, if anybody in work or in my school life would have... Uh, termed me as anything or labeled me as something, I'm that conservative Christian. You know, I'm an Anabaptist, I'm an apostolic Christian, I'm an ACCer, but as much as we can be outspoken or we choose to be outspoken and kind of condescending about things, uh, that was me. And would talk very pointedly um, about homosexuality being a sin and bordered on some of those signs that we saw up there. I didn't go protest in front of anybody, but that was really the matter of my heart, I'm sure. Um, and what the Lord really had to work with me over uh, a period of months and years was to get me to the point where I had a question asked of me in an office environment. Um, we were talking about church things and some of my convictions on something else, and the lady says, well, what about gays? What do you believe about that? Expecting that my reaction was going to be something to the tune of, well, they're all going to burn in hell. And the reaction that I got was the Lord had worked with me um, through the scripture and through some of the, the, the book that was suggested and that I read um, to point out that it's, that like we say in many other environments, we say it even in here at camp about some of the young people, you know, God hates the sin. God hates what, what sin is being make, made or taken or, or, or occurring, but he doesn't hate the sinner. He loves the sinner in the same way that he, he sat down with heathens and publicans and and really ministered to those that were the outcasts, that's the reaction and the compassion and the message of love that the Lord wants us to have. And so it was a, um, it has been a growing experience for me, and I think like Uncle Scott said, there, I'm sure I'm being prepared for something. I'm a little bit nervous about it, admittedly, because the Lord doesn't take you on a journey like that without expecting to put you somewhere. Um, so again, I, I, I'm probably the outlier, but was encouraged to hear some of the victories that some of these other folks could could have. Okay, um, I have had an experience. No, Mackenzie, um, why don't you tell us who you are? Just okay, in case sorry, I'm Mackenzie. People do not know who we are, at least sorry. they'll know to. Okay, I'm Mackenzie Dell from North Phoenix, um, and my boss for three years, he is living a gay lifestyle. Um, it's really difficult to have that relationship with the superior and know that they are living in sin and 
witness to that. It's a very difficult thing because I always, I don't know, I was never one to like speak out against anyone. I'm very quiet spoken. And so it was, he was very open about his lifestyle and his um, behavior choices. And he knew that I was really involved in church. Um, We never really spoke about his sexual preferences or anything like that, but he um, he knew where I stood, and I have not yet had an opportunity to, you know, really fully say, "Hey, this is not okay." Um, I'm really struggling with how to approach that, and this is why I'm here too, because I'm looking to all of you guys and them for their experiences and their. Um, victories and everything as well to learn. So it's definitely a learning curve as well. I'm Lexi from North Phoenix. Um, So my friend who is gay, I've known him since second grade. We've been friends since fourth grade. So just so you know how old I am, I'm in my second, going into my second year of college. So I'm 19. We've known each other pretty much our whole lives. Um, and obviously when he was younger, he didn't really know or believe that he was gay. Um, and then in high school, we became really close and, um, towards the end of high school, it came, he came out and told me, um, and so growing up, he knew where I stood on things. He knew I was Christian. Um, so that wasn't something we really talked about necessarily. It was just something that he knew because we grew up together. Um, so then about, so when he told me, I was having a difficult time understanding how to witness to him. And um, a year ago, um, on Kenzie's Way to Camp, she came with the Kittleburgers, and they were reading that book, and she told me about it, and so I read it, and it was, helped me a lot with how to react and Um, help my friend. And then, so I was just being outgoing, my normal Christian self. And uh, let's see, in April, a week before Easter, he got in, no, let's see, he's been in a couple accidents. He was in, he was in the hospital for um, an illness and had a near-death experience. And Um, he came home and I told him I wanted to hang out with him. I just had a feeling to hang out with him. And he was like, well, we're trying to figure out what time to hang out. And I was like, well, I'm going to Good Friday services. You could always come with me. I'm not expecting him to say yes. And he was like, well, sure. What time is it? So, um, since then he's been coming to church, um, semi-regularly. And so that's pretty much my story. I'm Natasha Kreisan, and I'm from Peru. Uh, so when I was, like, all of your guys' age, I was actually really scared of homosexuals. Well, I was scared of lesbians. Like, I don't know why I was scared of them. Like, my friends would always joke, like, oh, what, do you think you're gonna, they're going to chase after you? Or, and I sort of did. I don't know. Like, I was just scared. But, um, and, of course, at that time, I wasn't saved. Um, I didn't know the Lord personally myself. Um, so... I uh, started, like, once I got out of high school, I started working with, um, uh, there were about maybe three or four of them in the warehouse, and I just started realizing, you know what, like, um, these people, 
first of all, they're not chasing after me. Um, they're, you know, normal people other than the sin that um, reigns in their life. And uh, it's, you know, I had my sins that I was dealing with myself. And um, so I became, um, after I left that job, actually, um, I started seeking the Lord and uh, wanting to give my life to Him. And uh, He was really working on my heart um, to even reach out to those people that I worked with previously. Um, but he was also showing me in his scriptures as well um, just how important it is to um, like reach out to everybody, how everyone just needs him, right? And so um, I you know, went through a couple of years where I didn't come in contact with anyone who was uh, gay or a lesbian. And um, during that time, like I was just, yeah, like I said, God was just... Uh, working my heart and and showing me as well, uh, really that His love has to um, rule all and um, overcome all these sins as well in our life. And um, so, a couple of years ago, I started working with a lesbian who is in um, actually she was married at the time, and I became really really close with her. Um, she's a really cool girl, uh, but. I started to feel um, just like a really, really deep sadness for her. She would always share many things that were going on in her life, and um, she had a lot of sad situations. And um, one road trip that we made up for work, uh, we were just talking, and she's like, yeah, I really would like to know um, just why you're so happy all the time. You know, I know you say you're a Christian, but what does um, that really mean? So I started sharing with her the gospel, and... Um, she started coming to church after that. She came a few times, and um, I remember her saying, like, wow, this is what I really want for my family and for our kids. And I was like, um, okay, well, yeah, I think uh, some other things might have to change a little bit before that. But um, I hadn't, at that point, really gone over what God wants for their life um, and, and how God views homosexuality yet. Um, I was still working up to that. But there was one week where um, God continually opened up the passage in Ezekiel that speaks about the watchman, and how if he doesn't warn the trumpet, then um, all those people who are under his watch, um, all their blood will be upon his head if the enemy comes and kills everybody, right? So um, I was like, oh man, you know, like, um, to whom much is given, much is required, right? Like, I, I have this knowledge of the scriptures. Um, I really have to share with both her and her wife, Heather, um, what God, how God views this sin. And um, it was a really big burden for me. Now, Heather I was still kind of scared of because she was like the man of the relationship and um, she was very anti-Christian. And um, But we had come into contact a couple of times and um, so I ended up calling Sarah, um, the girl who I was closer friends with, and I just telling her, I really have to share something with you guys. Um, and she's like, yeah, come over for dinner tonight. Um, and Heather wants to hear what you have to talk about as well. And so I remember, like, I was driving to the house, and I was actually trembling because I was so scared. Like, I was like, oh, man, do I really have to say this? Like, um, I don't know what's going to happen. But I was just uh, overcoming it with prayer. And so I got in, and, um, and like, they got right to the meat. They're like, okay, what is it? You know, like, uh, tell us. I think we know what you're going to say. Um, and then, so I just started expounding upon different scriptures to them. And I was like, okay, you guys, um, I really love you. And um, I really want you guys to know God's love and um, what he has to say about the sin of homosexuality, right? And, um, and, they, and they sat through all of it. And, um, and then at the end, um, I remember Heather standing up and I'm like, okay, what's she going to do now, you know? But um, she said, you know what, Tosh? Um, I do have to say, if there was anyone else, um, any other Christian probably in this house right now, 
um, telling us these things. I would have probably kicked them out a long time ago, but because we know it's just because you love us, um, we're, you know, we're thankful that you're sharing this with us right now. So I think it's really important to, um, like the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Like if we can speak all these great swelling words and um, do all these actions, but we don't have God's love, um, then it's just like sounding brass or tinkling cymbals. It's something that's really annoying. People don't want to hear it, right? But I think it is important to, um, as we're developing these relationships with these people, um, to just um, really share with them God's love ab- among, you know, other things. But I think it's really important, and that really helps a lot. Oh, and then uh, eventually, uh, there were some other things that happened. I was praying that they would get divorced because I knew that it was a stumbling block for Sarah. And a week later, after starting that prayer, uh, Heather called me, and she's like, okay, um, I need you to be here for Sarah at this time because I'm planning on telling her that I want to get a divorce. Um, And they ended up getting divorced, and so Sarah Jean was going through a lot of depression and everything through that, but um, she actually started changing around her mindset on homosexuality as well and, um, and started to kind of get on the road of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, um, which is amazing to see. And this was in the span of maybe like three months or so. It was happening really quickly. Um, But unfortunately, she did move up to Toronto, and they do have a really big um, homosexual community up there. So she kind of got lost back in that lifestyle, but we do still keep in contact, so I'm just hoping and praying that um, she turns back around and and remembers, you know, um, the love that she was reading through the scriptures, that she was pouring over uh, God's word. Um, and yeah, so, so a work in progress, but we all there. Definitely a work in progress. Um, and I'm going to be echoing some of the things that you said, Tosh, too, even in our relationship. Um, like Scott said, um, at Timbridge Ranch, when so we... who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Miriam Kittleberger from Syracuse. Um... About a year ago, when we started out with some kids at Timbridge Ranch, um, we were referred um, this one little girl who's autistic. Um, actually, we got to know her and her moms through a support group that meets at our church for autistic children and their parents. Actually, the support group is for the parents, and we, um, some of the members of the church and the teenagers, play with the kids while the parents have their support group. So we learned to know Tina and Melissa, the two lesbian moms, and Amelia, this beautiful little girl who's a biological daughter of one of them. Um, And then they wanted to come and see our horse. So they came to the stable. At that time, we had um, our horse at a boarding stable. And Amelia loved the horse. She and Clyde, our Clydesdale, uh, would just run around the arena after each other, and they had this really special bond. And that was the beginning of a relationship, not only with Amelia, but with her two moms. Um, I have to say, it was not in my comfort zone at all. I, I had encountered a few gay or lesbian people in my work life many years ago, Um, at the university, but um, never really had any close friends that were gay or lesbian, and it it was a real challenge for me. It was was a real learning process. But we met weekly at the stable first, and then 
at, um, at our barn at Timberidge Ranch later when we moved the horses out there. And um, this relationship began to blossom um, with these two moms. They're both educated people. They are articulate. They're lovely people. They, um, they both have faith backgrounds. In fact, Tina's grandfather was a Methodist minister. They both have encountered a lot of hate from Christians. They're both activists in the lesbian community. So they're not quiet. They're really out there with their lifestyle. And that's the part probably that was the most challenging for me. I'm friends with them both on Facebook, and they're constantly sending out this and that and the other thing, not only about gay marriage, which, was, which has been a really big topic in the last year or so, but also about um, transgender issues now, because that's kind of the hot topic. Um, so this relationship began blossoming, and... Um, we decided around Christmas time that we'd like to step it up a little bit, and we invited them to our home for dinner. Um, they actually have a really supportive community in the lesbian and gay community. Um, they love to be hospitable. They love to, when they're invited somewhere, bring something, some food or something along. So they offered to bring some food, and we had a really, really nice meal together. Um, and it was almost time to, for them to leave. In fact, they were making the motion to leave when we started talking about some more heart issues. They were asking about our church and what we believe, and we had an exchange, too, with them about what their faith backgrounds were. And I think that was a big stepping stone in building that relationship, taking it to the next level. Um, they're looking for acceptance. They're looking for love. And as Christians, we cannot, we need to give that love. We can't discriminate with that love because that love comes from God freely to us and we need to give it freely to everyone else. Um, and that was one thing we, we noticed, too, at Timbridge. We need to be welcoming to everyone. God, God sent Tina and Melissa and Amelia to us. We can't say, no, sorry, God. I'm not going to accept these people. We're not going to work with these people. We prayed for God to send the right people to us. And he is, and he will. Um, and it's really important to us that we do not discriminate against um, people who are... Um, who, who have different lifestyles. Um, the other thing is, they were scared. They have had a lot of hate from the Christian community. Um, in fact, when Tina and Melissa lived in Buffalo, um, Tina was a person who escorted girls to an abortion clinic past picketers. And there were all kinds of hate slogans thrown at them. Um, I believe that they've even suffered um, violence. I mean, they've been attacked by people who didn't like lesbians, physically attacked. So they've made a lot of experiences with Christian people that have been negative. 
And I think it's really, really important that we show them love. Um, there's a deep spiritual need there and a need for community that they have. Um, and we need to be examples of what God's love is and the community that we have in our church. Um, I think that's really, really important. The other thing is they're looking for relationships. They are looking for love and acceptance. Um, we have not had any conversations yet about sin, about their need for Jesus personally. Um, I think probably what, along with what Natasha was saying, when those conversations come up, we're going to talk about their need for Jesus. Not about their homosexual lifestyle, but their need for Jesus. Just like I needed Jesus. I need him every day. Just like you need Jesus every day. They need Jesus. And then what the Bible says about sin. We are all sinful. There's some people who have heterosexual relationships outside of marriage. That's sinful. That's no more or less sinful than a homosexual relationship. Sin is sin, is sin, is sin. Um, that was, these are some lessons that we're learning, and um, God is not finished with us yet. We're a work in progress, too. Can you put this one down here? Thanks. So um, there's uh, one point I want to make before I'm going to ask more about questions, and that's that, um, you know, there, there are Christians out there that they teach different things, okay? And so uh, we, you know, I believe that the kind of voice that was on the posters is that's not the Christian voice that we want to adopt. It's not the tone. It's not the message. It's ultimately not the expression that we want to give the way those people expressed on those posters, there's another part to this too, though, that I want everybody to be aware of, is that there are people that teach that it's okay to be a Christian and gay. In fact, um, in reading the book here by Rosaria Champagne, at Syracuse University at one point, we had a dean of Hendricks Chapel there who was a you know, very liberal uh, Methodist minister, and he had told her that it is okay for her to be a Christian and gay. Yeah, he used some fancy term to describe that it was okay, but you know what happened? She was reading the Bible for many hours a day that she thought was part of her research because she was researching the religious right in her queer studies. And she read the Bible and kept reading it and realized that it, these two things can't possibly go together. You can't embrace a relationship with God and also be a practicing gay. She came to those conclusions by herself. But the thing that we really, I think, have to be um, get better at is how do we develop meaningful, loving, personal relationships with people and yet have an unswerving position about what we believe the Bible teaches about sexual norms? To have both of those two things operate at the same time, and I'm, I'm hoping you're going to get maybe some pointers and some some ideas about doing this. And let me just say this before I go into the asking some people from questions. Um, loving, okay. So here's the line, okay. Loving people unconditionally 
is not the same thing as approving of their behaviors. Loving people unconditionally is not the same thing as approving their behaviors. Um, at some point in time, we're going to have the talk with Melissa and Tina. I know that it's going to come, even though we've breached that topic. Mary mentioned we, we, we kind of got a little bit halfway there. So they kind of know, I think, what we believe without having said it, but they were very surprised, actually, to meet conservative Christians who would invite them into our home. They told us that three years ago they never would have stepped foot in a Christian church, in an, what they call an evangelical church, as they perceived ours to have been, and they never would have gone to the home of a conservative Christian. They, they think that they've grown by having accepted an invitation to come. And, but you know what? God is already preparing me for the talk. And I, when this topic comes up, I know exactly what I'm going to tell them. I know exactly what I'm going to tell them. When they're going to say, Scott, well, what do you think about this? These are the words. There is, Tina and Melissa, there is nothing that you can do that will make me love you less. Tina and Melissa, there is nothing that you can do that is going to make me love you more. But I think this is wrong. And I don't approve of this behavior. And I am quite confident in the way that the relationship has started to form that they're going to be able to accept that message. See, the, the point about actually really caring for them personally, you know, they have issues, okay? Melissa has, she's had brain surgery she has abdominal digestive problems. She has chronic uh, kind of, I don't know, nervous things that is going on. Okay, I mean, she is suffering in life in many ways and will always take a keen interest in her health and what she's like. They, they deal with anxiety issues. They deal with a large amount of rejection that they have already received in life. So they can actually tell when somebody is not rejecting them. But I don't think that they really expect that people are going to necessarily be approving of, of what they're doing. But those are two different things. The one cannot approve and say, you know, I don't think that this is right. But their journey past these sexual behaviors is not really my issue. I mean, that's something between them and God. All that we can do actually is share our concern and love for them as individuals and at the same time continually bring them before the Lord in prayer that God is going to lead them onto a different path of life just like he read, um, you know, dealt in Rosaria's life. Miriam, why don't you just tell a little bit, uh, show, show them the book, give them the title of the book, and that'll be this the is entree the book. questions. It's called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, An English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith. And the, the author is Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. It's, it's truly an amazing book. Um, she describes her journey to Jesus 
as a train wreck. She doesn't use use the she doesn't like to use the word conversion because it sounds too neat and uh, packaged. She calls it a train wreck because her whole life was turned upside down, and her whole orientation, everything in her life. She she lost her job. She lost her friends. She lost her her partner. Um, everything was turned upside down. And um, God made her into a completely, Jesus made her into a completely new person. I'd recommend this, definitely. If you're serious about um, talking to anyone who is in a homosexual lifestyle, definitely recommend the book. So um, a question, maybe for anybody on the panel, I'm not going to ask any one person, but, you know, how do we overcome the awkwardness of actually talking about this topic that for most of us is so foreign. I mean, this is not, you know, for, for, for parents, it's awkward enough to talk to their kids about the birds and the bees, right? Much less than to talk with somebody about the birds and the birds, okay? <laughs> okay, and, um, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I mean, I have my own kind of ideas about this, but I'm, I'm you know, kind of pulling you what, you know, what... What does our frame of mind need to be to actually overcome that awkwardness, you know, to be able to go to this place um, with people? Anybody willing to volunteer some thoughts on that? I think Lexi and Natasha actually were the ones that are, that are most along those lines. So, um, so with my friend, um, I obviously grew up with him, so I knew him for a really long time. And he had made that decision in his life um, without me knowing. And so from the time he made the decision to when he told me, he hadn't changed who he was. He was still the same person I loved as my friend. Um, The awkwardness, I believe, was more of something in my head that I had put up um, because I was like, well, what do I do? Um, But you... I came over it because I had to think he's the same person that he's been. I just have to talk to him and witness to him just like I would anybody else. Um, His sin's no different than anyone else's sin. Um, Sin is sin, uh, just like Miriam said before. And so that's kind of how I overcame it was by just putting myself in the right frame of right mindset and remembering he's still the same person I loved. Um, it didn't change how he was reacting to me or talking to me. We talked about the same things we always talked about, calculus and whatever else. Um, so that's really how I overcame it, was just remembering he was the same person I had loved my whole life. Um, I know for me, like I feel awkward if someone's looking at me and condemning me for something and... Um, so I guess uh, in my relationship with Sarah and then also um, the others who have been brought up from my past as well um, that we're communicating again, um, it's kind of just being transparent with them as well, like sharing sins that I'd overcome um, in the past um, that God helped me to overcome and um, just like kind of getting on the same level as them, you know, like, like Apostle Paul said, I become all things to all men that, I, that they may gain Christ, right? Um, so... Um, just showing them that, hey, I'm far from perfect. Um, I 
have to die daily to things. You know, I struggle daily with sins of my own. Um, and when they see that we're not perfect Christians, you know, like there is no perfect Christian, um, I think that kind of helps them feel less awkward about their own struggles as well. Um, Maybe just a follow-up question to that. Um, you know, when when you and you sort of talked about this a little bit, but you know, was it a natural thing for you to actually talk with people about this, Lexi and Natasha, or did you you, you had to kind of push yourself to go to this space? Because I, I'm thinking that a lot of people are thinking, I, I I maybe would like to speak with somebody about this, but. This, this is just like so awkward and because it's awkward I'm not going to go there but you've gone there and so was it natural how did you you know push yourself to get to that point it definitely was not natural for me I'm a person of least resistance um, I like just going with the flow and so uh, I don't like conflict at all um, and so for me it was really difficult just because I'm not an outspoken person and on top of it, it was a subject that is very controversial. So um, talking about it definitely didn't come natural to me. Um, again, I had to push through that awkwardness um, and get rid of that roadblock in my mind. Um, and senior year? senior year, there's a lot going on with um, laws that they were trying to pass and whatever. And so there's a lot of stuff on Facebook. And I remember I had written a post about how, you know, just because I didn't agree with the lifestyle, I didn't mean I didn't love them still. And we hadn't had that talk yet. And he was just like, the next day he was just like, I saw that post on Facebook. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but it definitely opened the gate for how we communicate. So. Yeah, I think another big thing, too, is prayer, right? Like, even, like I said, um, when I knew the conversation had to uh, come up, um, just taking it all in prayer, and, and even, like, I was praying, you know, a long time, obviously, before that conversation ever came up, um, because God, with his words, nothing can go wrong, right? But with my words, everything will go wrong. So, um, yeah, just taking it all to prayer and, and leaving it in his hands. It's a you know, uh, some people would think that um, any relationship that we would have with, uh, uh, with uh, a gay or lesbian individual, that, that that sexual issue would need to be the center of the relationship. You know, that that, that point of tension would need to be the central point. And I would like to ask uh, uh, all of you, Mackenzie as well, or even Michael, do you feel that we're compromising our values by not making the sexual issue the center of the relationship? Are we compromising our values by not forcing that to be the sharp, you know, the sharp blade in the relationship? Personally, I don't feel that I'm compromising my values by not making it... A like focal point of conversation. Um, I feel that if I am living, you know, if I'm striving to live a godly life and I am showing by my actions and my words that, and I'm living out Christ's love, then I don't think that needs to be like the focal point. I think it will come eventually. 
um, because I think it's important to build that relationship first because um, then if you're just coming straight at them and saying, you're living in sin, what you're doing is wrong, they're probably not going to be very accepting of it. And I don't, so I think it's important to build that relationship first, not necessarily focusing on that sin, um, because then there's that trust, there's that bond that you have, um, which just makes, it doesn't really make it easier, but it just helps it along. Can you ask your question one more time so yeah, I can phrase about, it right? You know, do, do you think that, and you can answer this, whether or not you, yeah. do you believe that we're compromising our values by not making the sexuality part of the relationship the center, central issue in relating with these folks? I had my answer. I just couldn't phrase it correctly with your question. Um, if in my, for my life, I was compromising my values by making it the central issue. It, what I mean is, when that was the only thing that I would focus on, when that was the buzzword or the ticket that you, you throw up there, like any other conservative Christian group will do, if you make that the central focus, that was the compromise in my faith. That, that was the, the one that took out the love of Christ of it and threw in there some other thing that was a political agenda or hate speech or whatever it was. Um, all those things that, that Christ railed against were, were what actually compromised my faith. Any, anything that anybody else would like to say about this? So, you know, one of the thoughts that I really have when I interact with uh, Melissa and Tina about this, and Miriam has said they're, they're activists. I mean, they're out there in a very, very strong way. You know, when they are saying right now, like, I am a homosexual, I am lesbian, and it's okay, and da 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 you know what I keep on thinking in the back of my mind? I don't think that this is really settled. You're trying to tell me that this is settled? But I don't think that this is really settled in your life. And, you know, this goes to the wrong teaching that was on the one placard that said, too late to pray. You know, that could not be more biblically wrong. It is never, ever too late to pray. And I'm so glad that Natasha has the testimony that she actually was, you know, praying that the Lord would throw a wedge in this relationship. And undoubtedly, he was working on that before you even prayed that prayer. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm even wondering about praying stuff like that. Like, I would not want hardship, you know, more hardship to come on people's lives, but I do want people to be able to find truth. And ultimately, in the end, I don't think that Tina and Melissa are going to find the long-term really intimacy in a relationship that they're looking for in a lesbian relationship that they need to be finding in God. They're not going to find that in that relationship. So I don't believe that this is settled with them. And, you know, when I'm looking at them, I'm trying to remind myself of looking at the two women that I believe by the grace of God that they can be, not, you know, looking at the two women that are standing in front of me right now that made choices that I think that they're paying a price for in their life, even though they're, they're trying very, very hard to say how happy they are and how convinced that they are. But, you know, that goes back to the line of Shakespeare, you know, one of his plays, when somebody kept on saying the same thing over and over, and then there's a line by Shakespeare, uh, I think thou exaggerateth much. <laughs> You know, when somebody keeps on saying the same thing over and over again, you really need to be doubtful about whether or not that's true, whether they're trying to convince themselves, 
you know, that they're really happy about this. But the Lord isn't done working with them. Neither is he done uh, working with any of us. So, you know what, we still do have 10 more minutes that we would like to, uh, you know, open this up for any questions that anybody might have. And I guess this will be the mic uh, that we, uh, you know what, Jacob, can I ask you, would you walk around with this if there's anybody that that um, has a question? or? And I'm hoping that, um, that you know, that we've had uh, an informal enough uh, discussion here that if if there's a question that you have that you'll you know that you'll be free enough and care enough to ask it because most other people probably have the same question. Okay, so I have a ton of people like that in my life actually. Can you go a little bit closer to yes, mouth? Sorry. <laughs> and I'm wondering how do you approach the person? Like, what are the first words you say to them to say I don't agree with your lifestyle? Like, it's kind of weird, especially. Sometimes it's harder when you know the person better. Like, right. it's harder to approach them and tell them. It, like, might destroy the relationship type thing, you know? Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this question, if I can answer a question with a question. Okay, uh, I don't know all that many of you, okay? And there might be some of you in this room that, you know, already have sexual relationships. You might have heterosexual relationships with other people, Okay? boyfriends, girlfriends, and so on. Well, how would I approach you about that topic? It's no different. How would I approach you about that topic? I mean, I can honestly say that even though I don't know, you know, many of you that are here, I mean, I really do have a deep God-given love for each of you. And yet at the same time, I'm going to say, if that's the path that you've chosen, you know what, you... You, you need to get the identity that God has given us through Jesus Christ. You have identity issues in your life that are resulting in sin. Okay, and so why is it that I feel very comfortable, you know, challenging people about sexual behaviors that are heterosexual, but I don't, you know. And actually, you know what, I've got to tell you something. This, this points out in some ways my wrong view of sin. That I think that the one is really a lot worse than the other, and it's not. And so if it would be all right for me that people are pursuing, you know, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships when it's, you know, it, it, would be, it would be wrong for me not to say something about that. And you are probably the prime age group that, you know, some of you are going to be tempted to rethink about who I am and what I'm, you know, and I mean, the, what, the things that my parents have been telling me and do I really want all that baggage and da-da-da-da-da, you know, in, in life where you're, you are coming to identity issues in your life just like they are. So I, I hope that that wasn't a trivial answer to your question, but I, I think that we, we build up in some ways a bigger wall on this topic. But, you know, so here's the simple answer in my point of view. You want to know how to go there? Just love them. Just learn how to use the words that can really express your heart, really heartfelt feeling that you really care for this person. You really can't. And you know what? I really believe that that love language is going to come out and trump things. Natasha's a, a living witness of that, that when God gave her the words to go there as well as Lexi, that was received by the other person. You know, it, The love was stronger than, than the other things that might have come out. But I just want to say, too, um, yeah, it's a good question, Em, but actually it's my You know what, Natasha, can I put this underneath this cord? Oh, yeah. Before we send this mic. There we go. 
Um, I guess the good thing is, like, if they already know that you're a Christian, um, then they're already probably going to know what your beliefs are. Um, and if they know that you're a Christian who's living out your faith and, um, you know, like they see that you're practicing um, what you preach, um, then they probably won't even really be too scared to breach that topic with you either because they'll know that, um, that you're actually living out, you know, God's love as well. So that makes it a lot easier to just kind of, because um, you, you could kind of, um, like, throw it in there when you're talking about... Um, you know, well, you can't really throw it into uh, the conversation, I guess. But yeah, um, you know, like talking about the Lord and what He's done for us. You know, you could be like, yeah, you know, like there's um, different sins that I struggle with. You know, and um, I know like you might have some too, maybe. Uh, you know, like you know, different things like that can happen, I guess. But um, knowing that you go to church and whatnot, they probably already know what your beliefs are. On it as well. Don't be surprised if they take you there. You know, they're dealing with these issues too and confronting other people with their beliefs. So don't be surprised if they are equally apprehensive. And they might be the one to do you the favor of taking you to that place where you're not really sure how to go there yourself. Don't be surprised. Any other questions? Well, actually, this is something that I would kind of want to share. It's my sister, Nancy. She um, had a girl that was in her grade that... Um, can you just talk, even with the microphone, can you sorry, talk a little yeah. bit louder? Yeah. Well, this girl got in a bad car accident with um, a neighbor of ours whose sister actually goes to our church, and to this day, she still doesn't know that we have that connection. But um, she had just went through a horrible, horrible time with um, depression and, and drugs, and she got kicked out of college. She went to um, New York for at this really prestigious college for basketball because she was very very good and she got kicked out for drugs but anyway so she had um she had an extremely extremely hard time with many different issues and and uh so just recently she came into our life and we've been hanging out with her a lot and she's been coming to church and so forth but um a huge thing that the Lord has taught my sister and I is to change our perspective a lot and to remember that Jesus came to seek that which is lost in a need and saving. And um, he just, when we were just read Psalms 139, where it just talks about his thoughts towards us and how Jesus sees so much more in that person besides their struggle with homosexuality. He sees, he, see, he remembers the day that they were born he remembers uh, the day that they started walking. He just, his thoughts towards them are so precious. And if we as Christians remember and just open up to Jesus' love for that person, it just changes everything. And um, if we're just patient and we just absolutely love with Christ's love and we just have that huge compassion on them because the devil is just absolutely destroying them inwardly. They're his. And we have to remember that. And and that is just a game changer for sure. It's just the perspective and remembering that Jesus' thoughts towards them are far beyond that one particular—excuse me—that one particular issue. So um, I think that's something that I'm so thankful to the Lord that that He showed that to my sister and I, and um, I I just hope that Christians throughout America and the world can see that too. Thanks for that. You know, keep in mind also that there are some people out there that have fallen into homosexual behaviors because there already has been sexual abuse and violence and other things in their life to begin with. They don't go there as a whole person. They go there as a broken, battered person that they're trying to find a place in life 
to ultimately fill the needs that, that, that they, they feel that they have. And they, they can settle on something temporarily, thinking that's the place that they want to be, but that's not the end of the story yet. Yeah, so they're, you know, we really have to love them because many of them are hurting by getting to that place to begin with, much less that they're just being there. Um, one of my best friends is, um, since kindergarten actually, he's, um, I think he's gay, and um, he lost his dad when we were in kindergarten, so he's only had the influence of girls on his life. And um, I know that if I were to try and approach it, I feel like he would be sort of like, you know, like deaf to what I have to say, and I try to be loving and everything, but sometimes it's sort of like, if they're so equal rights for everybody, why don't I get an opinion? And I just kind of want to know how I should approach that. You know, um, I find that most people have a really deep need for a kind of emotional intimacy with somebody else that they try to hide sometimes in sexual issues. But, you know, people are, they're looking for a really good friend. They're looking for a close friend. They're looking with somebody that they can let their hair down with, somebody that they don't have to be guarded with, a kind of friendship that really shows certain aspects of unconditional love that actually people like this should be able to be finding in Christian communities. We should be the ones to be saying, hey, you know what? You're broken and battered and nobody else out there in the world wants you. Why don't you come to us? Come to us. And you know what, um, they are, that comes out sometimes in people demanding rights, that they, you know, they don't feel acceptance in the end. They feel like they're, they're different, and they've been short, you know, sold a short end of the stick. And I really just feel that love are, are things that can, that can fix that, that can make even broken sticks whole again. Any other? Um, just spin it over to Lexi, there you go. Okay. So, um, you got to closer though. You got to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So obviously I had a similar experience. I grew up with my friend too. Um, really how I would approach it would be kind of like Scott was saying, just show him your love um, and continue being his friend and, you know, pray about how to approach it. Um, we can't really give you the exact script to say um, because you have to let the spirit guide you. Um, but pray about how to approach subjects like that, um, and pray about when to talk to him. Sometimes it's just not the right time. I mean, I went a couple years without even talking to him about the subject, um, while still knowing. And so, uh, and it's just kind of built upon itself, and he had to let, God had to prepare his heart in order for me um, to be able to even approach the topic with him and to start bringing him to church. So, you know, just pray about it and wait for God's timing and allow the Spirit to lead you in discussions like that. You know what? God can use you and take you with all of your fears and apprehensions on this topic and transform you into a bearer of his light and his righteousness and his truth as you passionately just try to communicate what you understand and be biblical truth to other people with love in your heart 
in a, in, in a way that is unbiased and in a way that is un, un, unhindered and in a way that is not prejudiced with who you would choose to speak with as God puts people in your path. It's not an accident. It is not an accident that somebody like that is in our path. God wants us. God has planned this. And I mean, do you really think it was an accident that the first child that came to our ranch was with lesbian parents? You know, you think that's an accident? Of course that's not an accident. God was trying to tell us, you know what, Scott, Miriam, and family? You want to do work for the sake of the kingdom? Are you going to have open arms to everybody who I'm going to lead up your driveway? Are you just going to take them up and just show them the love of Jesus regardless what they smell like or who they are or where that they've been? Do you have that kind of love? If you do, maybe there's an outside chance that you might be useful to me as tools. Otherwise, probably not. So I knew we had a choice to make. We had a choice to make that either was this going to be the normal thing for us or is this going to be the abnormal thing? And just God is continually, you know, working in us and showing us that these are exactly the people that need to find the Lord. You know what? Um, let's, let's do this here. I want to break on time um, because we, I see that we've already run out of time on this. But you know what? If there's a question that you have or something you want to speak with one of the panel members by, your, please, we'll hang around a little bit. We can do that. <laughs> But the rest of everybody else is probably off to uh, someplace else. Thanks very much. I hope you were blessed by the topic.